They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back. Just trust me, okay? This is Michael, and we are back for the second part of Justin Jenkins' story. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing good. So we're at the official tipping of the tipping point, which is you had already at this point gone to rehab. You had come back out. You started using the next day. Uh And... Now you're at the point where someone's talking to you about sober living. Yes. And you go into sober living. Yes. Um, so, but that was only because of the sign. The yes. sign that you got by seeing Joe. Yes. Okay. So with that in mind, what ended up happening from there? So we got the interview done and it was actually at my school that I work at. And basically you just showed me the video uh, Joe. Did the know? infamous video. Yes, the yes. infamous video. What is it from? Um, Paul Malloy, 60 Minutes. Yes. Yes. And, uh, of course, I can't, uh, Gene from Another House came to uh, assist Joe to tell me all about Oxford. Okay. And that's when I went to do the interview the next day, I believe, or Sunday. I told him that I would move in within a week. And then, of course, I did my last hurrah. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that usually happens. Yes. So by the time it was March 13th, okay, that's when I stopped using, and that's when I, I basically was sober for a year and some change, and <laughs> here comes the here comes the fun part. So you were sober for a year and some change. You did move in. Yes. So what was it like? Because there's a lot of people listening, so part of the reason, as in the biggest reason you're here, is yes. because... Of your affiliation with being in Oxford. So yes. this is your second go-around in Oxford. Yes. So when you first got in so that people can understand, what was it like in your head? What did you think that you were expecting versus what actually ended up feeling like when you got there? I felt like all eyes were on me and that I do, I cannot mess up whatsoever. Was so, it a good, like, did you feel like it was good accountability or were you scared? A good accountability and I felt the camaraderie that I needed that I was missing all of my life pretty much because I didn't really have friends. I just had people that I associated with on a, you know, weekly basis. Now, at this point, I think it was, so what month did you move into Oxford? March 13th. So this was right before that September that I actually met you for the first time, which happened to be at World. Mm-hmm. So I met you. You'd only been in Oxford at that point for what, like six months? I think so. Like eight, nine months. Okay. Yeah, March, April, May, June, July, August. Okay, yeah, so you months. moved in. Everything was going smoothly. And I'm sure your family was happy. Yes. People are starting to come around. So, And the reason I'm trying to focus on this part of the story the most is because it, just because it doesn't always work or quote unquote take the first time doesn't mean that you stop coming back. It doesn't mean that you just give up and that's it. Right. And you go to that life. You keep fighting. Yeah. So for you, you were in, everything was going good. You had friends and stuff like that. What started to take place? Uh, Are you talking about as in declining? Right. Okay. So basically it was me and this is what I learned. This is the reason why I'm stronger this year or around this time. Okay. Is because I felt like I had to take on the responsibility of other people and making sure that everybody else was doing okay in their recovery. Because after all, you know, we have to keep each other accountable. Okay. And I took that to the next level. 
And with that being said, I was putting more effort into other people and talking about, you know, recovery and trying to get people in than to actually work my own recovery. Exactly. And I'm glad you point that out. So you basically were doing for everyone else, but you were going without. Yes. Okay. So how long did it take before that started to eat at you? That would be three months. It took three months for me to all fall apart. So you were doing good for about six or seven, and then you start falling apart. Yeah, because that world, that's when I started downloading Grinder again. Okay. Yeah. So you start getting back into your old habits. Yes. And you come back. And what ends up leading to that tipping point? Hanging, uh, hooking up and whatnot. And then that's when uh, I met a guy named Chris in, what, April, May? Around literally last year. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was me trying to help him get into an Oxford house because he was bouncing from place to place. And then, long story short, I just started falling for him because, you know, me being a good-hearted person and not realizing that here I am going to the second toxic relationship or third toxic relationship because Carrie was the yeah, second. right. Um, this time around, this was, this was the big one because I fell apart. I When I got kicked out, I, you know, I went back to my aunt's house. And then this time... And you're lucky that she took you back. Yes. Okay. So how how was it that she found out that you're kicked out because of using and she took you back in? Because I called her and asked her if I could stay. Okay. She didn't think that I was that bad off. Okay. Because you know what? It was about a week or two before they actually kicked me out. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So. So she's just thinking you're looking to get back out. Yes. Okay. Well, for me to get back into, you know, like, you know, because I got kicked out, you know, maybe I'm doing my recovery still and whatnot. You know, maybe it was just a mishap or something gotcha, like that. Gotcha, gotcha. She doesn't so, know. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I hang out with Chris more and more and more and more. And basically, long story short, I started smoking again. And I actually hooked up with one of my drug dealers that I uh, remember, you know, not to name names. Right. And... Yeah, I just started using, and, you know, this time around, I had, it wasn't new to me, so I had some intel on how to operate, and, you know, I kind of learned stuff that I used to wonder about with Carrie. Like, I understood his mannerisms, I understood how he uh, manipulated, I understood how he, you know, kept things hidden. Like, for example, I wouldn't necessarily... You know, tell Chris that I had this amount. I would literally keep a stash for me. Okay. And then I'd share the rest. And, of course, you know, I, I had the upper hand pretty much because he was already out of it anyway. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be quote-unquote smart and, you know, make sure that I have enough for myself. And, you know, see, kind of test the waters with Chris to see how crazy he was. Okay. And hopes that, you know, maybe he would, you know, come around and, you know, just want to get better and i'll i will say this that i really fell for him and it wasn't more of a sexual thing it was just you know me just wanting that connection with you know the camaraderie because part of the thing that came back also with the addiction was the addiction to being with someone versus being lonely yes okay so so i was with him for three months it's kind of like this for five years for kevin uh, five, well, seven months with Carrie, then, you know, five months with Carrie, then three months with Chris. And, of course, I was still using after Chris, but 
what was the tipping point for Chris was the fact that there was this one night, like I said, he was degrading me. He was condescending me the whole time. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a humble person. I'm a person that's, you know what? I don't let it get to me. Okay. So, you know, I'm hanging out with him. He's he, talking trash on me and, you know, making me feel like I'm just a piece of filth mm-hmm. to throw away. And, and long story short, it got to the point where he kept talking about narcissism, talking about, you know, sociopaths and all that stuff. And, you know, he's into tarot cards and just going crazy. Now, the funny thing is, with Chris, when I first started using, I was actually at that hotel that's right next to my house. Literally. Okay. Okay. And, of course, it went from that to the hotel next to the oceanfront, June, when that, you know, riot started. That was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's kind of funny when you're using, you're paranoid about the cops, and you're hearing (laughs) helicopters, and you're hearing people downstairs running. It's kind of like, you know, you thought, you know, the SWAT was after you. As if it couldn't get worse. You're like, am I actually seeing this, or am I hallucinating this? So I'm I'm not kidding you. It's kind of like, you know, you're using, you're an addict, you want to continue using, but then you're like, you know what, It's it's getting a little bit too much, you know, you know, like... Questioning the, you know, using, but continuing to use, you know, it's kind of like that thought bubble. And then you come back to, you know, crazy, craziness. Okay. And, and this is June of 2020. Yes. Okay. So around July is when it got bad because Chris, cause that wasn't bad enough. Yeah. It wasn't bad enough. It just, it was, was getting worse. Yeah. Cause it's like, I was missing the whole, like I was in my room, I would watch Netflix. I would, you know, because when I was in Oxford, that's what I did. Right. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm missing the fact that I could be by myself and just have a controlled environment because everything was going crazy. He's bringing multiple people in and out. He's not, you know, partying. He's just basically smoking, you know, everybody in the hotel that we were at. Right. And, of course, he's throwing conspiracy theories saying that this was happening, that was happening. And I'm like, this boy's crazy, and I'm still with him. And I'm like, you know what? I got nothing else better to do, so shit. Let's right. do this. Right. So, the tipping point was, I think it was around, like I said, July, August, to the point where, yeah, it was August. Because we went over to one of my friends that I used to use with. And, of course, we went over. I convinced him to go over. And... We decided to head back to the hotel, or what was it? The Ocean View, Ocean View area, to where... Which is notoriously known for bad decision making. Yes. Yes. Because I can say this much, we were with a friend of his, it was like a neighbor, you know, of course he's like, what, 40 years older than us, and he allowed Chris to stay there, and of course, naturally, I gravitated over there, and... Of course, while we were on our way back to the ocean, you know, ocean front, ocean view, mm-hmm. you know, he's just bad bathing me. And I'm like, you know, what? I can't take this anymore. This is the tipping point where I'm like, I don't take bullshit anymore. Okay. Right? This is where I'm like becoming, you know, I'm birthing a new per- a personality. Okay. Where I actually said, because I would not leave his side, not once. This time I did. Okay. I looked at Reed. I'm like, I want to get out of this. I need to leave. And, you know, I didn't want Chris to know because he would go crazy or bonkers or something. Okay. And it got to the point where I'm like, you know what, Chris? Because he kept bad-mouthing me. It's like he wanted me to leave, but he would not let me leave. 
And then that's when I decided to get in my truck and be like, I'm leaving. Yeah, the good part for you in all of this is you're mobile. Yes. You never lost your license. Yes. You had a vehicle. Yes. And you had money because you were still somehow keeping a job somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Which is incredible, honestly, because <laughs> so many people who get in active addiction, they're missing a lot of those components and they're just like side hustling and all this. I'm you're legit just you. working and having a car. Yes. So with that, I can say that's when things really fell apart. You know, I would go back to, you know, I would leave Chris for certain periods of time and then I got back up with him. You know, I think he was at uh at the hotel near the oceanfront, you know, really close. And that's at the point where, and I'm just going to skip a few details on this. Okay. That at the point where we were back at the original hotel that he was at for the majority of June and July, um, he got up with one of his friends. We, you know, he was, he was okay for the first part of the night because he was over at the uh, Witch Duck area. You know, and and this is still the time frame is that we're at like August. Yeah, we were in August. And okay, this is the part where he was homeless, pretty much. You know, he was pitching a tent over near Witch Duck. You know, where the homeless shelter is. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I got to that low, and I was still using. And you were not in a tent though. No, I was still going over to my aunt's house and spending the night over there. Yeah. But uh, I wasn't spending the night in a tent overnight. Uh. Uh-uh. Or I would go to a friend's house and use. So it got to the point where, you know, one night he actually met up with one of my exes, exes. That's the crazy part. And then we went over to the oceanfront again. He started doing his little pattern of behavior. Mm. And then that's when I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm done with the pattern of behavior that you're showing. He was trying to get some, he was trying to score. I was trying to score. I said, you know what? He's taking forever. So I'm like, you know what? At least I have a time. I have a person that's reliable and I can get it in an orderly time. Well, and I was going to say too, a lot of uh, people don't recognize too that when you're not doing, um, when you're not just like hooked on alcohol, but it's a drug. So you have to go through a dealer of Mm -hmm. some kind, unless you're making it yourself. So you were not. So you're having to go through a dealer. Dealers don't operate on schedules. Exactly. <laughs> it's whenever they can get to you. <laughs> so there's times where it's like, if you meet somebody new, uh, it could be hours. And yes. they know it's it's on their end. They're the ones, you know, you're the one waiting. They're not going to be in a rush to get to you. Exactly. Especially when it's just, what, a couple of hits? Yeah. You know, you're not sitting there buying, like, thousands and thousands at a time. Yeah, with 46 bucks, like, something like that. Yeah, which is crazy. So um, before we f- we get to that part, mm-hmm. how much would you say at this time – you're probably spending in a week. Let's just put it this way. Maybe about $300, but, you know, in 20 to $40, you know. At Here a time. and there all the time. So, yeah. But it was only at $300 a week that you're yeah, spending. Kind of. Okay. So what would you say at the highest you probably were spending at a time? A 60, 80. No, I'm saying a week. A week. I would probably say about 500. Something 500. Like okay. So instead of what most people would be putting into paying for a place to live, you are using that. But you still had money. Kind of, yes. to stay at hotels here and there, but you were still staying with family off and on. Yes. Yeah. So, and you weren't having to pitch a tent. Yes. So you really hadn't gotten to the point where you were having to make a change yet. Yes. Okay. So what leads to you realizing, I gotta make a change? Uh, okay. So, like I said, we were at that um, hotel near the oceanfront, and mm-hmm. of course, I'm tired of his bullshit. Okay. Because, you know, he's doing the same old thing, the whole pattern of being crazy and, you know, talking down to me and stuff. 
and acting like he can't trust me and whatnot. Of course, you can't trust me because you're in a different reality. When you get high, you're in a different reality. And I both will of say you that right now, yeah. yes. And this is the point where I'm actually actually getting to the experience of hallucinating, seeing the shadow men apparently that you see and whatnot, and, you know, and actually thinking that you're seeing somebody when they're not actually there. And uh, so you're getting so far gone that you're starting to hallucinate. Yes. Okay, so, so we're gonna yeah. on that we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. So we were talking about the fact that now, as if it already wasn't chaotic enough, adding to that, now you're at the point where you're starting to actually hallucinate. Yes. So what are you seeing? I'm seeing family. I'm seeing ghosts. I'm seeing, like, basically people that are, like, saying, why aren't you, why aren't you stopping? You know, you're seeing your grandmother. You're seeing people that have passed on. You're thinking that the brush that's on your cart that, you know, because I'm still working at the time and everything's quiet at the place that I'm at because I'm a custodian. I was going to say you're a custodian. So you're working solo. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I guess you could say the stuff that like my broom, um, scrub pad, whatever, looking like, okay, there's somebody right there at the corner of my eye. And then, you know, look at them and, you know, they're not there. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm seeing things that are moving. I think that I'm seeing, uh, what do you call it? Shadows, like uh, demons or whatever. And I'm like, I'm keeping my cool. Right. I'm not going crazy, but I'm like, I'm definitely seeing this. There is not, yeah. So, and at this point, okay, so again, I know I kind of went off track here, but at that hotel at the oceanfront, Chris, you know, when I got my stuff and I came back to the, you know, hotel room, Chris is doing his thing. And then, of course, Chris is looking at me sideways because he knows that I am taking the attention off of him. Because, you know, he's the kind of person that wants to keep all the attention on him no matter what. And you're both paranoid as fuck. Yes. (laughs) Of everything from each other and everyone else. So at this point, I'm looking at. Uh, everybody, and I'm passing my I'm passing my stuff around. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's taking his eyes off of you know Chris. So it gets to a point where I don't know what happened, but okay. So I think Chris lunges at me because I have a bag here. I've got stuff that I'm you know I smoke with or whatever. Right. Know. He grabs my bag and he starts biting my hand, and he starts physically attacking me at this point. This is the first time I've ever had physical abuse in a relationship. Okay. Of kind. And, and this like, is also, he's under the influence. Yeah, he's under the influence, of right. course. Because I know he went up to in a hotel room and he smoked with, I, I don't know what the guy's name was, but anyway, you know, he's doing his thing and I'm like waiting for him. Like I said, this is before the physical abuse and this is before I got the dealer and before I got the stuff and I came back. Right. And uh, I'm like, so I'm getting back to the hotel room. We're smoking, smoking around. Everybody's getting their little what a toke. And um, long story short, like I said, he physically alter, the altercation happened. Then 
people started leaving because, of course, we're being loud. Okay. And, you know, people don't want to get, you know, caught or, you know, police call, called on you. Right. And at the point, I'm fighting them. But at towards the end, I'm like, Chris, stop, stop. You know, I'm like holding him, trying to hold him, you know, from, you know, trying to punch me and all that stuff. So I'm to the point of tears. I'm like, dude, when did we get to this point? You know what I'm saying? Right. And, you know, he gets my bag because I let go because I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Whatever. And he goes to the bathroom, does whatever. And, uh, of course, he doesn't take a lot of it. He just takes a little bit of it, you know, just to prove a point that right, right. whatever. And uh, I look at myself, and this is where the point I say this out loud. I said, you know what? I'm in a room of people. I'd rather be in a room. I really was missing Oxford at this point because I'm looking at everybody in that room. And I'm like, nobody here would literally, you know, the camaraderie. There is no camaraderie here. I mean, You're, it's a bunch of thieves hanging out together. Yeah. So I'm looking at myself. I'm like. I'd rather be in a room where I have friends than to be alone at this point. And I started kind of tearing up. And that's when, at this point, you know, after that little thing, I leave. And then that was the last time I ever saw Chris. Is that and, the last time that you used? Uh, no, because I will say this. I started, I continued to use up until October. Okay, so this was about, how long were you using alone? Alone, probably about two or three months. Okay. Kind of like what, you know, the carry timeline. Right. And after that, you know, my aunt said I have to leave at the end of the month of October. Right. Because, you know, she can't handle me at this point because I allowed people at the house. You know, she... Didn't want people in the house that she didn't know, you know, coming over while she was asleep. So I kind of broke that thing. So after that happened, you know, she said I had till the end of the month. Mm -hmm. And then after that, that's when I got to Oxford Lakesmith. Okay. I tried to get back in Greenbrier, but Greenbrier wouldn't have me because they didn't want people that were there before to come back. Which is usually, um, from what I understand of others, it's usually preferred that you, if you are coming back, you come back to a different house. Yes. Because clearly if it didn't work the first time, maybe something new. Yes. So with that, now this is, you came back, you said in what month? Uh, October is when I got back into Oxford. Oxford house. So when you came back into Oxford, and this is just back in 2020, mm-hmm. so at the end of last year, you come back in, what was your mindset that made you believe this time is actually going to be different? Because once I got back into Oxford, I didn't want to lose my place of, uh, place to stay because at this point, I would be homeless. My mom and dad would not let me back into their place and, you know. Your aunt? Yeah, my aunt would not let me back, and of course my parents were saying, you got to get back into Oxford, and that's when I had to get back into Oxford, otherwise I wouldn't have a place to stay, and you know, things would fall apart there. I'm like, uh-uh, okay, I've kept things together this long, I'm not trying to lose it this time, you know what I'm saying, so. And I think that's an interesting thing, I was talking about this earlier, and it's been kind of a reoccurring theme over the past year, was really understanding the concept that, you know, there's people out there that know they have a problem, mm-hmm. but... If they are provided with that easier, softer way, a.k.a. a family member, a friend, somebody's couch to always sleep on or whatever, yep. it's if it remains to where they can keep their ke- creature comforts or whatnot, then, you know, it's not uncomfortable enough. So until that, you know, pain starts to set in, it has to be painful to just keep staying the same before you actually 
want to try and go back into doing something new. Otherwise, you have no reason. Yes. You know, so for you, the pain finally of staying the same was starting to outweigh the fear of change. Yes. And here you are. You've overcome and now you are changing. Yes. So what are you doing different this time than what you did the first time? Well, of course, the first two months was kind of bad because, of course, you're thinking that you're on a tightrope and there is no ground underneath and the sky's the limit. And you feel like you're about, you could fall at any point and, you know, dive into madness. And then after that couple of months, you know, of that, because, of course, it's painful because you're aware of it. And you're not using, and your appetite's coming back, and, you know, your mouth doesn't feel like it's sore, you know, you can actually eat. Was it harder to come in this time and come off of it than it was the first time? It was easy. It, I think it was harder because I knew what was to come. Okay. So. You were already, like, overthinking it. Yes. Gotcha. So after the two months, you know, and with all the bullshit at Lake Smith, well, I ain't gonna go into it, but, uh. You know, I was in a house that wasn't really stable, and I kept myself clean because, after all, I like I said, I don't want to leave my leave my place to stay. Nope. So, gradually, I got back on my medication. I started doing well at work, and I started getting my parents back into sync with, you know, actually, this time around, my parents actually see me on break, Monday through Friday, you know, on and off. Okay. And that connection... Helped me with the connection with my supervisor, which in turn helped me with um, everything else stable in my life. Are you on good terms with your aunt? Yes, good terms with my aunt, my mom, my dad. My brother is coming around. I was about to ask him next. Okay. Okay, so you are actually finally doing something different. And are you able to recognize this time what you were doing wrong the first time? Yes. Versus this? So what was the difference from the first time? This time around, I'm not actually hooking up with anybody anymore because I actually have somebody that I'm talking to. Okay. And his name is Stan. I will give him a shout out on that one. Hey, hey. uh, (laughs) Because if he does hear it. (laughs) Yeah. I love the guy. You know, he actually was with me the two months that I was actually coming down off of it. You know, he actually stuck by me and he's actually seen the progress that I've made. And this is a difference. This is the difference between me and Greenbrier than here and here at Lake Smith. And that's what I was wondering too was is your family noticing a difference this go around versus the first one? Yes. So, I think that's awesome too that they're able to actually tell. Can you I can tell cuz you know my parents actually like I said we're not into the parent, you know, parent kind of thing. We're in the friend thing. Cuz you know, parent first then friend. We're at the friend thing. And, of course, I told my parents thought about me and Stan, and they we've actually had a discussion where, you know, my dad said, if it comes down to it, if I can't recognize it because of the way I believe, but I love you because you're my son and you're an adult, you can make your own decisions. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's a start. Yeah, so that was a big deal. In the positive direction? Yeah. Okay, so... With all of these changes and everything that's going on, um, the biggest facet of your story clearly is that you are in a sober living environment as well as it's also on top of that an Oxford house. And yes. Oxford house is notorious as I interviewed um, one of the area's 
workers, as you know, yes. Deborah Jackson. Love her. And uh, yes, yeah, so she's an outreach worker for Oxford House, Virginia. We all love her. She's doing fabulous things, yes. as are all the other outreach across the country. Well, across the world, actually. It's a, a global organization. Yes. Um, in any case, what they do in order to set people back into the frame of mind that they're going to be able to take care of themselves again uh-huh. as a new person in a sober mind is they have different positions within the house, yes. within the chapter, within the states, etc. So the first time that you were in, were you active within your house and your chapter versus are you active in your house and in your chapter now? Are, were you the same, not the, the same. same? The same, but not so much uh, active what like I was before. I understood that I had responsibility, but I didn't have to take it all that, on. Right. So now you're realizing that take care of you so you can take care of others as yes. well. So the first go round, you were active in your house and your chapter. Yes. But at your deficit. Yes. This go round, you're active in your house and in your chapter, but maintaining taking care of you first. Yes. Okay. And what kind of a difference have you seen and felt within your house? You said when you came to your house at first, you felt like it was a mess. How does it mess. how does it feel now? It feels stable, of course, up until the present moment where we were trying to interview somebody and get them in, but you know. And that can be a tricky situation. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the way that Oxford necessarily works and it can be difficult, but you're all in there helping each other out. You're an autonomous house. Yes. And it's up to you all and the best part about living in an Oxford house is if within the house you can't figure it out, you can always talk to the people in your chapter yes, or the people in your region or the people in your state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So there's always different levels and different tiers to go to. Do you feel like you're learning a level of care as an adult that you may not have known before by working through the different positions in your house? Yes, because I know for a fact that, you know, as of right now, the only thing I really had to do was the treasurer. Um what else was there? Yeah, it was the just the treasurer because I think I didn't have a position for a while, and uh, yeah, I didn't do secretary, didn't do comptroller. Everybody else had a position, but I really didn't have one. I was basically just watching everybody else do their thing, right? Because honestly, uh, the first few months, uh, let's just say that the president wasn't exactly doing his meetings on the weekly basis that we're supposed to be doing it, so it was kind of like. For the first three months, I was just getting myself together. I wasn't worried about Oxford. I was just worrying about making sure that I had a place to stay and I wasn't getting in trouble because, after all, you can't get in trouble if everything else is falling apart around you. Right. Well, and I think, too, one of the easiest positions to overlook is the unofficial judge position because after somebody gets into Oxford and they decide to avoid, avoid, avoid getting involved, they start to just decide, oh, well, I can go ahead and just judge everyone else because I'm not doing anything. Right. But – then everything that falls apart in the house falls on those people. You have to be proactive. Yes. You are there. You're a contributing member of that house. But you have to feel like, like you said, camaraderie. And so you have to pull each other together. So that way you guys function as a unit, as a solid house. Do you feel like that's where you guys are headed now? Yes, that is where we're heading now. Because when the big uh, things that happen, it was January when everything turned for the better. We got rid of three people, and after those three people, it was th- uh, two new number, two new members, and myself. And of course, since I was the season member now, 
that I felt like it was time for me to rise up and take the occasion of making sure that everybody knew what the hell they needed to do in the house. Right. And that I wasn't going to take bullshit, and it's not my place to make sure that you're doing your recovery. If I find out that you're not doing it, you're out. Correct. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we're going to come back for the final segment of part two. Stay tuned. Stand by your man. Give him two arms to cling to, and something warm. Welcome back. So we were talking about your uh, the position that you take now as far as where you're at in your recovery. So in your recovery, I think you have found, based on what I've heard, and you can tell me if this is true or not, your recovery personally has to be paramount. That's number one. Yes. You're taking care of you. That's yes. the biggest difference. Um, number two, you're active in your house because you do live in an Oxford house, and that is key to be an active member. You do have a position in the house. Yes. Do you have a position in your chapter yet? I don't have a position in the chapter yet. The only thing I have, if you, I guess you could say HSC. Okay. Yes, I am the HSC Which is Housing Services Committee. Yes. And do you find that you're learning a lot by being engaged in that position? Uh, Well, yes, because in the beginning we had to go to a new house, and it was the it was a girl house, and there was a lot of issues. I mean, go figure. But uh, <laughs> yes, there was a lot. I I have heard drama. Deborah Jackson herself say that she is shocked because she'd rather live with a bunch of men sometimes. Yes, <laughs> it's better with men anyway. But that's my opinion. That aside. <laughs> but okay, so now that you're there and you're learning all of these different things, are you? going to try to get more involved? Are you going to be more involved in that? Do you feel that your questions get answered when you need them to? Yes, because I know that I'm getting closer with Deborah Jackson, and I'm also getting closer with people that are in Chapter 2, which that's mainly Will from... Yes. Yeah, that house that's next to us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just glad that... Do you feel supported? Yeah, that right there, I feel supported, and I'm looked up as the unofficial leader of the house, because since I'm a senior member... People actually call me nonstop, but I... In a good way. Yeah, in a good way. Yes. Because I think a lot of people, too, who have lived in a sober living house or an Oxford house will say that that's when there can be a problem, is when somebody decides they're just going to make decisions for everybody. Yes. And then everybody just kind of blindly follows. That's a problem. Yes. But when everybody bands together and actually provides a democracy within the house, that's the way it's supposed to go. Correct. Everyone's vote counts, whether they're senior or not. Yes. Everybody matters. And I think that's key. I know that one of the uh, biggest things, besides what you said, so in my story, as far as what I went through, what, of course, appealed to me was that, I would have a place to live. Like, that was enough. But with that in mind, I was fearful, but they did make it seem like there was going to be this sense of togetherness, a brotherhood, whatnot, a family. And albeit a fucked up feeling family, you know, because we're all in there because we have fucked up backgrounds. But one of the great things about that I felt was that I wasn't going in feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be judged for what my substance abuse issue was. I felt nervous because I thought I was going to get judged for being gay. Yes. Did you feel nervous or apprehensive because of that, too? not at all, actually. Okay. So you didn't feel nervous at all? Nope. You went in and you were good? Yeah. 
I was good, actually. Okay, because I know that when I got in, they told me, oh, you're silly for feeling like that because it's going to be easier for you. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I I didn't necessarily understand that or believe that, but I did find, and I've shared this before when we did actually the very first talent competition at State, was that, you know, I ended up realizing that I can actually feel more trust with straight men because of how much I was able to lean on them and yes. kind of have like these brotherly relationships with them that I just thought like, Oh my God, men are always going to treat me like an alien. Yes. You know? And so it was, it was a very interesting dynamic. I did not expect that at all. Do you find that you have gotten a lot of closer, solid bonds with people in recovery yes. now? Definitely. Okay. Especially with them in the house, because like I said, you know, we've got amazing guys in the house and they actually look up to me and they actually talk to me and they know that, Hey, I'm one of the guys that that keep the house together. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that too. So, with this at this juncture of what's going on with you, what are you doing to try to ensure that you have a positive future going forward? What are your plans from this point? Well, to maintain the house in a good fashion, as in making sure that we have enough money uh, to transfer into our new house which we might have a new name for which that is to be determined i know i probably will help deborah make the new name i'm really hoping that i will okay and uh you know in a couple of months maybe three months get my own place because i feel like that might be my next step okay so in a few months yes in a few months four months i'm not making a date i'm just making sure that i keep myself in order first and then when the time comes, I will have my own place. Well, that's awesome. But you're not putting a ton of pressure on yourself as far as that goes in, are you? No. Okay. I was like, because I would hate to see that you're putting so much pressure that you're going to make yourself, like, freak out. Yeah. So, okay. so you're taking your time to make sure that you're going to be in a healthy spot. Yes. To be able to handle that kind of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. And how do you find... Everyone else does their recovery a little bit different, right? So, like, when you first come in, you have to do a certain amount of meetings a week. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it's kind of up to you. What kind of recovery have you found that works best for you? Whether it's a 12-step program or it's just, you know, making sure that you hang out with people that are positive influences or, you know, some kind of combination of all that. What are you doing to maintain? What works for you? Positive influences, prayer, you know, praying to my higher power. Okay. Making sure that I am around positive people. Of course, you know, around family because family is what I was lacking the first time around. And okay. not to mention when I was growing up. So it's kind of like I am reconnecting things that were not there before that I needed when I was growing up. Okay. So I'm getting what I needed, you know. And I feel like, yeah, after 30 years, I am now developing a bond with my father that I should have had when I was 15, 16. My dad said that I am... I guess you could say at the mindset of 15, 16, 17, I'm, I'm steadily going faster and faster to the point where I'm at right now. It's kind of like I'm growing up where I should have been growing up when I was actually 15. So what do you say to those that are out there listening that maybe they themselves are not an addict, but they have a friend or they have a family member or someone that's struggling and they have someone that's not only struggling, but they've tried to get cleaned once, twice, maybe three times. And they're finally like, 
I just don't trust them. I, I don't think it's going to get better. I don't know what to do. They seem like they're just content on just destroying themselves over and over again. What do you say to that person so that they know don't just give up on someone who Keep is struggling? Them. Keep loving them. Be there for them. Be there by their side. My dad was there by my side. I didn't realize it until, you know, later on. Just be there when they do fall. Because they are going to fall. Life is going to have its life terms. And people are going to get to that point where, look, they're going to remember the low points they had in their life and who they ran to. And you've got to be there every time that happens. It might take 20 times before that 21st time to where they finally realize that they want to get themselves together. Right. And if you hadn't have been there for those 20 first time or 20 times, they wouldn't have they probably wouldn't have reached that revelation. Okay. So it's kind of like you've got to keep that momentum. You have to keep that faith and you have to have grace and forgiveness. That's how I believe that people get to the next level that they need to be. Now, financially, are you in a position where you could be living on your own right now? Possibly. Okay. I'm in the process. So what do you say to the person that's out there that they could try to go through this on their own or they could go into a sober living house? Why go into a sober living house versus, versus trying to just maintain on your own? Because I feel, like I said when I was talking about that oceanfront hotel experience, you've been surrounded by thieves, now surround yourself by people that actually would keep you accountable, that would keep your goals in mind. If you're around good people, you're going to start going towards the direction that you're supposed to be going to and not your separate way where people, you know, want to see you fall and want to keep you at a certain level because they don't want to see you get higher than them in okay. the literal and figurative sense. Gotcha. So, so all of that aside... When you're looking at sober living and you decide this is what you need, you could go to Oxford. You could go to various other private, smaller ones that are in various states, various cities, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Why Oxford over any other sober living? Because the prisoners run the prison (laughs) and you will have a voice. You will be required to use it and you will not have and you won't have the chance to just keep silent because at cer- at a certain point you will have to either use your voice or you will have to leave. One of my favorite things that somebody had said was that it is something that works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everyone. Right. And that's okay because not everything is for everyone, but you can't expect something to work if you're not going to be active. Right. If you're asleep at the wheel, whether it's of your life, whether it's of where you live or what's going on around you, you only have yourself to blame. And like you said, you've got to use your voice. You have to be willing to stand up, take charge, as well as get to know what's going on around you. Exactly. So I just want to thank you so much for your blunt, brutal, rigorous honesty. Thank you. Yes, that's exactly what the whole premise of this is. And we want people out there to know that they too can recover. We do recover. It can get better. Yes. But that is contingent upon you or whoever actually wanting to be vested in making that change. And only the person is the one that can control that. So I'm really glad that you're here. Um, 
and like someone just said a little bit ago, it is a miracle that you are alive. Yes. Have you come to that realization as well? Yes. Yes. So. And I know a lot of people are glad that I'm back. So I'm so glad to see you again. I'm so glad that you were here. I'm so glad that you decided to just trust me. Okay. Have a yes. good night. Yes.